Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're looking at a topic that is especially relevant in the times in which we live. It really resonates across Indian country and beyond. That topic is how we can move beyond some of the challenges that we faced in 2020 and as 2021 is upon us, how we can really make a difference, really helping not only ourselves, but those around us, our tribes, our families, our communities. To help us on that journey is Warren Rustand. Warren, it is great to have you with us. Thank you very much. Great to be with you, David. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. And it is mutual. Warren, I know a lot of folks, when they hear your name, they're immediately making connections. You've been in the White House. You've been a successful uh, CEO. You've done a number of things over the years that a lot of folks have uh, really given you a lot of uh, credit and recognition for. But more than that, I know you're interested in trying to make a difference in people's lives. Tell us just a little bit about your journey for those who don't know you. Well, I was born in sort of an abject poverty on an isolated farm in Minnesota near the Canadian border. Probably could still be there today, but I had a father who helped me dream and think and uh, think of the world beyond the farm, prepared me for that. So when I was about 11, I moved to California, uh, learned how to surf and play basketball, went to good schools, uh, got a basketball scholarship to the University of Arizona where I played, uh, drafted by the Golden State Warriors, and then uh, ended up being a White House fellow appointment secretary of the president of the United States, and then on to corporate activities, being CEO of multiple companies. So I've had a fun life, a good life. Along the way, I got the best wife in the entire world. We've been married 56 years. Wow. Three generations, seven children, 19 grandchildren, and we all live together on a farm in the center of Tucson, Arizona. So all three generations, multi-generational family living together. Wow, that is exciting. And I know there's a lot of uh, folks there in your Backyard, if you will, uh, with Native roots right in that part of the country. I know I've spoken to the Tana Adam uh, Nation, some of their health uh, folks some years ago, uh, not all that far from uh, where you call home. So it's great to have you on the show, Warren. And I know one of the questions that people are going to ask me after the show, if they, they see me, they say, hey, you know, you had that uh, Warren Rustin on the show. I heard he played basketball. How tall was he? Because on the radio, you know, people have no idea. Do you get that question often when they hear you were a basketball player? Well, that's true. And even when people see me, I'm 6'2". And so when people see me, they don't think in today by today's standard that I'm quite tall enough to be an NBA player. Okay, fair enough. Did you actually see some time uh, in the NBA? Or, uh... I saw a little bit of time, not a lot. Uh, it turned out that they actually wanted someone who was talented. So I decided to go back to graduate school and, uh, and learn a little bit more and get my advanced degrees there. Okay, well, I know you've made a huge impact. I know some people think, wow, if you're in the, the sports world or the entertainment uh, world, you're touching a lot of lives. But I know you've touched a lot of folks in your work uh, in corporate America and in the political realm. Tell us a little bit about uh, the uh, White House stint that you did. Well, I had a lot of fun, David. It was uh, First of all, I never thought about going there, being a Minnesota farm kid. But when I was 29, there was a retired four-star general with whom I was having lunch, and he asked if I'd ever heard about the White House Fellows Program, which is a nationally competitive process, much like the Rhodes Scholarship Program, and uh, but just for U.S. citizens. And so 
he gave me an application. Um, I filled it out, sent it in. I was interested to see if I could compete. Um, I was advised that I was a national semifinalist and then I became a national finalist. And ultimately, uh, in 1973, one of 17 out of several thousand who was selected as White House Special uh, Fellow. And I came to work for the Secretary of Commerce and then moved on to uh, be Special Assistant to the Vice President of the United States, who happened to be a man named Gerald Ford. And then the, the days of August came of 1974, where Richard Nixon resigned because of a potential impeachment. And uh, in fact, Gerald Ford became president of the United States, and he asked me to stay on as his appointment secretary and cabinet secretary. So it was a wonderful experience. And that experience allowed me to, to meet a group of people who ultimately changed my life in many ways, because I was able to think of the world in a bigger way. You know, mm -hmm. The people with whom I got to hang out in the White House, Henry Kissinger, Brent Scowcroft, Bob Gates, uh, Colin Powell, Dick Cheney, Don Rumsfeld, Jim Baker, a pretty interesting group of senior executives. And and those are the people with whom I was exposed every day. So as a young 29, 30-year-old White House fellow, uh, I learned a great deal from those people. Well, wow, that's a great story, a great background. And some of those uh, connections, no doubt, paved the way for your work in corporate America? Yes, indeed. They helped me a lot. Uh, in fact, the, the forward to my book is written by uh, Bob Gates, who was, as you know, director of the CIA, president of Texas A&M University, and secretary of defense. And he and I have had a 50-year friendship since we met in the White House. He was just out of graduate school. I was a White House fellow, and we palled around, traveled all over the world together for the president, uh, formed a great friendship, and had a lot of fun. Tremendous. So for folks who are listening who might be part of tribal leadership, maybe they're running a tribal enterprise, uh, maybe they're not Native, but they're involved in leadership in an organization. Tell us a little bit about the corporations that you have led up uh, during your uh, illustrious career. Well, there have been many, and like a lot of entrepreneurs, I started with a small company and had a million dollars in revenue and built that, sold that, and then started one, and it became a little bit larger and so forth. And there's this interesting incremental process that we make oftentimes in leadership. As we grow our leadership skills, we have the opportunity to take on things with more complexity. And that was the case for me. We continued to invest in different companies. And so I ultimately... Uh, we ultimately did a startup, became the largest LASIK eye surgery company in the world, hmm. uh, took it public, uh, headed up a $400 million company, a $600 million company. And the last company I headed up was uh, $2.5 billion. So I uh, had an interesting journey as I tried to grow my leadership skills, be a little bit better at everything, and then was able to lead larger and larger organizations. Now, I appreciate your emphasis, Warren, because you know a lot of folks – We'll say, well, you know, what kind of, you know, what sector were you in? I mean, were you, was it all medical? But what you're emphasizing, what you emphasize in your book is just the, the core leadership skills that people need, whether they're, you know, heading up a, a, a tribal committee, whether they're involved in a corporation, whether it's, uh, dare I say it, in the home. It seems like we could use a little bit more leadership skills in some of our households. Is that just my narrow-minded impression or do you get that from your vantage point as well? No, I think it's a good observation. I, I believe that there are certain principles that if applied properly and we work hard at them and stand by them, those leadership principles allow us to lead in any phase of our life. And I would say that you touched on the most important phase in the family, in the home. I think we need to be good spouses, good partners. I think we need to be good moms and dads. And I think that's sort of the first level. And in our world, my world, that's the most important, highest priority item in our lives for my wife and I is our family. And we'll sacrifice whatever is necessary for the family. Second for us is business. And many of the same leadership skills are transferable into the business world, right? 
and and then we lead in the business community in the same way. And then beyond that, I think there's the broad community in which we have to have impact beyond how we make a living. I think we we have to give back. There's a higher purpose and a higher calling to our lives than just making money, than just materiality. And so we work hard at that. And then finally, I think we have an obligation to build ourselves and grow ourselves, our leadership skills, our abilities, our knowledge, our wisdom. And I think when we do that, then we can progress in a very nice way in our lives. Well, Warren, the reality is a lot of people are feeling pretty beat up right now. I mean, 2020 has been a rough year for a lot of folks. I still do some medical work. Actually, right now it's telemedicine and was interacting with a patient not long ago who was just talking about all the tragedies that have taken place in his life. And this is not unique. People dying, people losing jobs, all kinds of stuff happening, it seems like, in rapid pace. And uh, a lot of folks don't feel that there is really much leadership in them. Now, your book is called The Leader Within Us. Are you really saying that every person has the ability to be an effective leader? I do. I believe that all of us have that kernel of leadership in us. Whether we develop it or not is up to us. Whether circumstances present themselves in such a way that we get to step forward into leadership also is a part of that puzzle, right? Um, We know that I was in the military during the Vietnam War. There were people who were would seemingly not be leaders, but in a crisis, in a battle, in a gunfight, whatever it was, would step forward to lead in unique ways, even surprising themselves, perhaps in some ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. I think we have the chance to lead in the home. We can be good moms and dads. We can be good parents, right? I think that's true in our businesses, but I think it's true in the community. The community has great needs for us to step into the vacuum to provide leadership. All people want is effort, energy, talent. And I think sometimes we're, we're too easy to write the check and we're, we're too resistant to giving our time, energy, and talent, which is really what the community needs more than our money. So Warren, tell us some stories because I know folks, they're listening to us dialoguing. They're saying, well, I mean, here's a guy who has all kinds of talents. I mean, NBA player, I mean, in the White House, CEO. I mean, this guy clearly isn't talking to me. But you've got a lot of experience with people who didn't seem to have really much in the way of talents that people might label, but they made a tremendous success. Can you share us some of those stories that would really draw us in today? Well, I think that there are uh, a number of stories that we could share that are interesting, but there, are, uh, there was a, a young lady working for me and, uh, and seemed unprepared for the next step in her life. And she was doing uh, an average job in an average position. And, and I challenged her to step, step up to the next level of her activity and to gain more insight, to get a graduate degree, to get more professional credentials. She accepted the challenge, so she began to learn and study. And with each thing she learned, she began to move forward in her career. Well, uh, her name today is Justina Sanchez-Cox. She's one of the great HR people in the world, heading a phenomenal HR organization for Cadence Education, specializing in helping children. But she became a remarkable star. She was the youngest. She was the least prepared, right? She was the least obvious choice Mm -hmm. to take on a major leadership position. But again, she prepared herself. And when the opportunity arose, she made the most of that and became an absolute sensation. And she's recognized nationally as one of the leaders in her profession, in her career. I think sometimes we don't always see that in people. We need to be looking for that in people, looking for those who can generate that next level of leadership. And I've had a great opportunity to grow leaders. I think a leader's responsibility is to grow other leaders. It's not Mm -hmm. to have employees, but it's to grow leaders. 
It's to tap the best of those with whom he works or she works. And I think if we do that, that's really important. When I took over a particular company, um, the senior leadership looked exactly like I did, right? White, male, old, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, right? We all looked alike. Mm -hmm. But our population of people who worked with us in the corporation was multiracial, multicultural, multilinguistic. And I believe that there was a glass ceiling there and it was white male. And so we allowed a lot of those people to move on to the next opportunity in their life. And we created vacancies in those senior positions. And we moved people of color, gender, other kinds of people into those positions mm -hmm. so that when people looked to the top of the company, they could see there was opportunity for them to grow in leadership. Tremendous. And that helped us. And it also helped us with our clients because we began to look more like our clients who are also multiracial, multicultural, multilinguistic. And so when we think about those things and create that opportunity, we naturally create opportunity for people to lead. That is uh, such a powerful example, and I know that resonates with folks throughout Indian country. I mean, so many times it seems like there are those barriers to advancement, and I appreciate you putting that challenge out uh, to anyone who's leading in any capacity, be looking for those who are working with you who uh, – actually have the potential to take that next step. In fact, I'm hearing, though, more in what you're sharing, Warren, because a lot of us, it seems, disqualify ourselves. Maybe we, uh, well, we say we're just content to, you know, punch the so-called time clock, uh, you know, do the minimum, and then uh, go have fun. It seems like uh, a lot of folks have grown up with that mentality it seems like you're really challenging not only people in leadership, but individuals themselves to realize that they've got more potential than they've often tapped into. Am I hearing you right? Absolutely correct. And I think sometimes we make ourselves the victims of self-limiting beliefs. Hmm. We, I'm not tall enough, right? I'm not short enough. I'm not white enough. I'm not black enough. My parents didn't teach me this. I didn't go to the best schools. I don't have a formal education. We have all these self-limiting beliefs that keep us from achieving our full potential. Why don't we instead say, I'm capable, I'm prepared, I'm as good as, I can do anything I choose to do, and then let's design our life and go live that life. So I think there's one of these things that, a situation where we put those self-limiting beliefs on ourselves and we need not to. This is powerful stuff, and we've got to explore it some more. We do have to step away just briefly. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Warren Rustand is staying by. You do, too, because there's some more really important things that you need to know and that can make a difference for you and those that you love. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. For 13 and one half years, I was the victim of severe child abuse. I was being beaten, cursed, and deprived of any kind of love and care. It was a big secret. Children are born to be loved, not to be abused. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. 
We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. I'm here to warn you about telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Some of these scammers may say threatening things like you will be arrested if you don't make payments or provide personal information. Do not fall for these tricks. These calls are not from us. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you for information or money. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Never give the caller your personal information, like your Social Security number or bank account, or send money in any form, cash, gift cards, wire transfers, or prepaid debit cards. Report the call to our law enforcement arm, the Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Share this information with your friends and family. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back. Dr. David DeRose here with Warren Rustand. We are talking about things that can make, really, a difference as far as well, really bringing your leadership skills into the center. You say, leadership skills, me? Well, that's what we've been talking about. If you're one of those folks that has some of those self-limiting beliefs that Warren was speaking about in our last segment, or if you're just joining us, self-limiting beliefs, they can really pull us down and keep us from accomplishing what we need to. Warren, while we were off air, you were telling me that you have an amazing story that took place right in the White House about this, uh, this topic. Share it with us. Well, and I went through a process when I was in the White House where I was I was hanging out with really smart, talented, good people, some of whom I just named in the last segment. Right. And so that was the senior White House management team. And I was a part of that, the top seven or eight people in the White House. And we would meet on a regular basis with the president. And what I was finding out and hanging out with Henry Kissinger and Brent Scowcroft and Colin Powell and Bob Gates and Dick Cheney and Don Rumsfeld and all those guys was I wasn't as smart as they were. They were much more politically experienced than I was. They were very, very talented people in every respect, and I just felt like I wasn't as good as. So a self-limiting belief. I just didn't think I was up to it. And so we had a meeting in the Oval Office one day, and after the meeting, everybody drifted out, and I hung behind to, to speak to the president because I knew that because of my self-limiting beliefs, I would probably make a mistake because I managed his schedule and controlled his schedule, that I'd make a mistake. It would go public. He'd be publicly <laughs> embarrassed. That'd be horrible. It'd be my fault. You know, it'd be terrible. So all of my self-limiting beliefs came, limiting beliefs came into play. So I, I waited a bit. Everybody left the room. And I said, Mr. President, may I speak with you? And he said, yes, sit down. And so I sat down and I said very quickly, not smart enough, not political enough, not experienced enough. I shouldn't be here. Here's my letter of resignation. Huh. And I put it on his desk. He looked at it, but didn't touch it. He swiveled his chair, looked out across the South Lawn of the White House and the Rose Garden for what seemed to be six or eight hours, or probably about 10 seconds. Uh-huh. And he finally swiveled his chair back around, and he said, you know, Warren, the very fact that you have said this qualifies you to be here. 
Hmm. The fact that I was honest, transparent, and vulnerable made him trust me. Hmm. And from that point on, he trusted me with things he never should have trusted a 29 or 30-year-old kid with. But I served him well, as well as I could during that time. We didn't have any embarrassing incidents. And in fact, he had a really good presidency. But the fact that I shared his values, right, meant that he could trust me. And I think sometimes we impose these beliefs that we're not good enough, Hmm. when in fact, if we'll just step into the opportunity and serve to the best of our capability, do the best we can at leading, we're going to be just fine. We're going to be okay. Well, I really appreciate two things about what you're sharing in that story. One of them is this aspect of humility. And I think so often people that aspire for leadership think they cannot be vulnerable. They think they have to be more than they really are. And I think a lot of people are just looking for uh, sincerity, humility, people just being able to come down to the level of the people that they're hoping to lead. Uh, It seems so many of us have surrounded ourselves with this facade that, uh, wow, people really don't know us and uh, they can't approach us. So thank you for illustrating that and then really challenging each one of us to realize that things that may look like limitations could actually be assets, couldn't they be? Absolutely. And I think one of the things, David, that we do that we should all get out of the habit of, and that is we compare ourselves to others Mm. and we compare ourselves to what they might have or their success. And we think somehow we're falling short. But I know that I'll never have the biggest house, the most money, the fastest car, the biggest airplane. That's for others. Mm -hmm. But what I can do is the best I can do and show up as my best self every day. And so about 25 years, I got to thinking about this. And there was a quote that I created. And it goes like this. One success is relevant only when measured against one's own potential. Hmm. That we only really know our greatness when we compare ourselves to ourselves and what our potential is. And if we can live fully to our potential, that's as good as we can be. And that's good enough. And knowing what is good enough for us is very important. Well, I think this whole uh, discussion about potential is so important because so many people who've made such a big impact in the world, whether it's at a tribal level, whether it's a community level, whether it's just in the home, Often, at least initially, were people that, well, a lot of people thought they just didn't have the potential to do much. But if you live up to your potential, I mean, it's incredible. A lot of people in Indian country and a lot of our listeners would say part of that really involves getting in touch with a creator, a higher power, with God, whatever it might be. Is the spiritual dimension important in this journey for people? I think it is. I think we have to think about ourselves as this kind of ball of potential. And so the question is, how do we reach our full potential? And so there are, there's a way in which we can think about that, and that is to build our capacity. And how do we build our capacity? And that consists of four elements. And this was designed by the Human Performance Lab in Orlando, Florida. They've been studying executives and athletes for years and years and years to figure out how do you tap into that potential. And so there are four pieces to that. The first layer is physical. The second is emotional. The third is intellectual. And the fourth is spiritual, Hmm. that all four need to be aligned. All four need to be working in harmony and in unison. And when we create that alignment, the opportunity for us to perform at or near our potential is very good. But when we have a misalignment, when we aren't good at some of those, when we haven't built our capacity for the ideal performance state, then we'll fall short of our goals. And so I think we have out in front of us all the knowledge we need to have to reach our potential. And I think that's really important. We saw that specifically. Um, we had a, there's a foster program sponsored by our church, actually, that allows uh, Native American children to live um, in, in homes in a more urban environment. And near us in Arizona is 
maybe the largest reservation in America, the Navajo Reservation. And we had a young man whose family wanted him to have that experience. We became aware of that through a faith-based organization. We put our hand up and said, we'd love to have this young man come and live in our family. We already had six children. Why not have a seventh? Okay. And so, and so this young man at 12 years of age left his father, who was head of the Native American Church for the Navajos, his mother, who was a fantastic, strong lady, his sister, who was Miss Native America, and he came down to live with us as a 12-year-old young man in a totally different society. He became such a rich and vibrant and important part of our family. He brought a, a feeling and a spirit to our family that we hadn't felt before. And it was just terrific. He stayed with us until he was 23 years old. Wow. And as his mother was dying of diabetes, he moved back to the reservation because she was a weaver. Hmm. And he wanted to learn and be sure he knew his native life. And so he learned to weave. And today he has a website, William Whitehair Weaver. You can go there and some of the most beautiful rugs are being made by him, taught by his mother. But the very first rug he made, after he completed it, he jumped in his Jeep. He drove the seven hours down to our home. And he presented it to my wife for being a second mother. Wow. And it was a wonderfully emotional time. But he's a brilliant young man. He's the head of his clan. He's doing a phenomenal thing. We visit him regularly on the reservation at his home. He comes down regularly to visit us at our home. And it's been such a, an important part of the tapestry of our family. He, he taught us things. He brought us things and understandings of the earth and the sky and the spirit world that, that we would never have known without his good input. So it was a wonderful experience for us. Well, thank you so much for that story, and uh, it really brings us all back to really the title of your book, The Leader Within Us, Mindset, Principles, and Tools for a Life by Design. I know a lot of folks in my sphere of influence, when they hear life by design, they're thinking of that spiritual dimension. Was that what you had in mind, or were you thinking of something else? Well, I think that's part of it, but I was thinking more of our time here on Earth all right, And this notion that, that, that if we can dream it, if we can think it, it's likely we can achieve it. Hmm. So the first great foundational element of leadership that we all have to appreciate and understand is clarity of vision. When I've associated with some of the people I spoke about earlier, and political leaders, corporate leaders around the world, what I find among great leaders is that they have clarity of vision. They know where they're going. Hmm. They know what ultimate outcome they want to have. Then they apply the second great principle of leadership, which is certainty of intent, meaning that if we know where we're going, we intentionally have to act on that all the time in order to get there, in order to realize that vision. And the third great principle then we apply on the journey is the power of values, our core beliefs and values that keep us on the road. They're guideposts along the way. And we may meander a little left and a little right from time to time. We make mistakes. We fail. We all do. I have certainly. But we stay on that road, Right. And we act intentionally, and we end up where our vision is taking us. Maybe a story would be helpful to illustrate that, David, if I may. Please. About 25 years ago, I was having dinner with three mountain climbing friends of mine. And I asked my first friend, what are you going to do for the next 20 years? He said, I'm going to climb mountains. I said, that's great. I asked my second friend, what are you going to do for the next 25 years or so? He said, well, I'm going to try to climb the seven summits, the seven highest mountains on the seven continents. And I said, that's terrific. I asked my third friend, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to climb Mount Everest by the time I'm 25. Hmm. Who had the clearest vision of where he was going? Well, that's Jamie Clark. He lives in Calgary, Canada. He climbed Everest for the first time when he was 21, wow. for the second time when he was 23, and for the third time when he was 25, because he had a clear vision of where he was going. He acted intentionally on that every day, and he used his power of values to drive him on the road to success. So clarity of vision, 
certainty of intent, power of values. Are those the three core principles, or was there a fourth one in the equation? No, those are really the three that I think are foundational, and they're the foundation of the book I've written, right? And we talk about how to get them. How do you apply them? How do you use them? What's the practical side? We can talk about them easily, but how do you actually go about getting it done? How do you create your vision, for example? And, and that's sometimes hard for people. Well, we want to talk more about this. I know you've got a lot more practical illustrations. Before we step away, you've got a website. I know people uh, are going to be staying with us, a lot of them, for the rest of the show. But for those who can't stay by, who just want more information, what is the, uh, the best single place to go on the web? WarrenRustand.com. That'll take you to videos and the book and episodes of fa- live Facebook. There'll be a lot of things on there that you can get that'll be helpful to you. So Warren Rustand, R-U-S-T-A-N-D dot com. Yes. We will be back with more from Warren Rustand right after this. I'm Dr. DeRose. Don't go away. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. Or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. The most negative thinking in my childhood was the things said to me. I felt like I was a bag of garbage waiting to go to the dump. Please, moms and dads, put a watch on your mouth as you relate to your children. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to. Someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Papa, why can't we telegraph while riding a horse? Son, there ain't no one to blame but Jeffro. He was riding old Betsy the Stallion, tip-tapping away at his telegraph, when blam, ran right into the side of the saloon. Well, if Jeffro can't do it, neither should you. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Every year, hundreds of teens drown. If your teen hasn't learned to swim yet, it's never too late. Even if your teen is a strong swimmer, make sure to supervise kids of any age. No one should swim alone. Teach them to enter the water feet first, wear life jackets on a boat, and never use alcohol or drugs on the water. Drowning is preventable. For more, visit HealthyChildren.org. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs and dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. 
Welcome back for the second half of today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Warren Rustand is my guest. He's been talking with us about, well, the leader that is within every one of us. He's been trying to help each one of us achieve our full potential. And yes, it may take a spiritual undergirding. I really believe that from my vantage point. I know Warren does as well. But whether you feel you're a spiritually focused person or not, we've been learning about some of the important principles to have what Warren calls is a life by design. Warren, for those who may just be jumping right on with us, they maybe didn't hear the first half of the show, quickly uh, give us a review of those three principles. The first is clarity of vision, and that's the notion that we focus very hard. We take the time and space necessary to determine where it is we're going with our life. What is it we want to achieve? I learned that from my dad early on when he would stop before he would plow a field on a farm in Minnesota. He would look at the field. He'd look at the drainage. He'd look at the sun and how it affected the field before he would actually act upon the field because he wanted the most production he could get from a field. And then he would say, what do I want as my outcome from the field? How clear is my vision about what I want to have happen? The second principle, once he had decided that, he had clarity of vision is certainty of intent. Then he wanted to go about acting on that field with his tractor and his plow and his disc and everything else in a way that maximized and optimized the production from the field. And so it would look and feel exactly like he had imagined it in his mind, that vision that he had for what he was about to do. And finally, uh, the power of values is the third principle. And the power of values is really, they're the guideposts, they're the, they're the lanterns along the way that keep us on the road to success and, and finding our vision. So if I were to apply these principles and just think about applying them even, one of the applications of that last principle is sometimes people think, well, uh, it doesn't matter if I, well, I'm totally maintaining my integrity, I've got to accomplish this. If something is part of your values or values uh, in a broader sense in your community from the tribe, we do ourselves an injustice to set those things aside. Am I correct in that? Yes, we do. Um, I think there's a myth, and the myth is that what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Hmm. This notion that we can say one thing and do another thing. Well, as soon as we do that, we become the hypocrite. We become the liar. So our job is to be able to maintain our personal integrity. And more than anything else, you need to know, David, and I need to know that we're acting with integrity for ourselves. Because we're the first ones to know that we're not being honest, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Or that we're lying or that we're being a hypocrite. We know before anyone else knows. But acting with integrity is a critical part of our lives. It's a critical part of leadership. If people understand that you're a person of integrity, that you'll do what you say you do, that your word is your bond, that you espouse principles and you live those principles, you have a greater chance to lead in that circumstance than if you mislead people and tell them that they they, it doesn't matter or show them it doesn't matter. So we have to walk the talk, and it's very important that we do. Too many people um, are one person on stage and another person off stage, Mm -hmm. and we have to be very cautious about that. Someone is listening today, and they're getting inspired. In fact, many people, I hope, are getting inspired by today's show. I am. So, Warren, I'm thinking of uh, maybe a tribal elder, maybe someone who, well, Maybe someone who's not in in leadership, they're listening on one of our large stations with Native Voice One that carry the show. Maybe they're in the Northern Plains, uh, where you hail from, and they're listening to today's show. They're, uh, well, 
they're a grandparent. They've got a couple of grandkids that they're watching for. seems like their work days are behind them. Does there come a point in time where really we don't need to tap into that leader within us? I don't believe so. I believe we need to tap into that leader within us every day, every day being the best person we can be. Don't let any day go by and be passive about it. Attack every day. Get maximum opportunity out of every day. Because when we live to the end of our lives, we don't want to look back over our shoulder and say, I wish I would have, hmm. or I should have, or I could have, right? Mm -hmm. We'd like to say, I don't have any regrets. I did everything I could. I've lived the life that I want to lead, and now I'm prepared for the rest of my journey, whatever that may be. But I think there are many people who live with a sense of guilt about their lives, who live with a sense of uh, inadequate productivity, who know that they haven't done the best that they can. And so I believe that we have the opportunity to act on that, and we should act on that. In Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, he talks about leadership. And he says, leadership is not a circumstance. It's a choice and discipline. We choose leadership, and then we discipline ourselves to be good leaders. It's not a set of circumstances. We're not gifted with leadership. It's not handed to us on a platter. We have to assert ourselves discipline ourselves to be leaders. And when we do that, we tend to be more successful. Very good. A lot of folks, I think, are getting the challenge here and wanting to say, hey, we might have had a, a rough 2020, but there's potential ahead of us. We're alive. We're listening to this show today. We can make a difference. Those in our sphere of influence can make a difference. They've heard these three principles, clarity of vision, certainty of intent, the power of values. Those resonate with people, but when it comes to the day-to-day, -day, how does someone take those foundational principles and translate them into real life today or tomorrow? Yeah, it's really a great question, David. Thank you very much for asking. I th there are some very specific things we could do, and let me suggest to you there are five. The first is commit to a higher level of discipline than you ever have before. The second is live every day with purpose. The third is act always with intent. The fourth is make conscious choices. And the fifth is to engage in a cause greater than yourself. That's the highest purpose. So let's talk about the first one. Because in the, in the end, if we can't commit to a higher level of discipline on ourselves, we will not achieve the greatness we want to achieve. So if I were to ask you, how do you wake up in the morning? When you first realize your eyes are awake, you know, what is it you do? Well, most people will say, well, I get up, I go to the bathroom, or I grab my cell phone, turn on TV, I uh, brush my teeth, I take the dog for a walk. And my position is none of those things prepare you for greatness for the day. Mm -hmm. Not one of the things I just mentioned make you better. All right. So how about when you first are awake? Why don't you swing your legs over the edge of the bed, but remain seated on the bed and ask yourself, what is my purpose today? Why am I alive today? Why has my life been preserved just for today? Focus on your highest purpose just for a minute and then go find a quiet place where you can give gratefulness for 10 minutes. Just be grateful. There's a place in our home where I get to see the sunrise every morning. I'm grateful for that sunrise. And I'm grateful for our family and our home and, and our jobs and what we do. And there's a thousand things we can be grateful for. But we do know a heart of gratitude makes us happier. Mm -hmm. The next 10 minutes, what I'd like you to do is go read something inspirational. Write a poem, a short story, a quote. Don't read anything negative. Just something that really inspires you. And then the final 10 minutes... Write in your journal about the great things that happened to you the day before. Hmm. Only good things. Don't write your bad stuff. Just the good things. Now, you're 31 minutes into your day. 
And the question you have is, how's your mind? Mm -hmm. Your mind is wholly positive and ready for a great day. So then you do the hardest thing that you've ever done in your life. You need to go physically exercise because we know you have to build physical capacity. We talked about that earlier, right? So your mind is positive. Now go do the hard thing, which is to work out. And an adult needs about 150 minutes of rigorous exercise per week. That's three to four times a week, 30 minutes at a time, where you get your heart rate up and you stay in good health, right? Get your cardio system, do some weight training. We know that you know muscles begin to atrophy sometime in your mid-30s. If you don't lift a little weight, they'll continue to atrophy and so forth. So all of those kinds of things. Then you do the next thing, right? You go and get good nutrition. That's the third thing you do in the morning. This is all within the first hour or so of waking up. So you add some protein. If you've worked out, you need some protein, you need to hydrate. And then the last thing you do for the day, which is going to make your day successful, is you understand the management of time, right? Hmm. Each of us gets 86,400 seconds a day to live. If we're lucky, at midnight, we get another 86,400 seconds. Hmm. It's what we do with those 86,400 seconds that will determine the difference between success and mediocrity. It's how we manage the most important commodity we have, which is time. If we can do those four things first thing in the morning, life gets a lot easier after that. Well, Warren, I'm going to confess to you, I have not read your book, but uh, it sounds like uh, you called my wife up and you know wanted to <laughs> just talk about some of the things that I've been doing for quite a while. It's, uh, it's really remarkable. So I really uh, resonate totally with what you're sharing. And even the uh, secular psychologists, you know, are talking about the importance of gratitude journals and cultivating gratitude. So this spiritual, mental, emotional, physical uh, focus that you've been talking about, intellectual, all of that comes together at the very beginning of the day. And uh, had a friend years ago. He believed in a higher power. He said it this way. He said, when you get up in the morning, talk to God before talking to men read God's word before reading man's word. And I know folks from a religious uh, bent might relate to that, but it's the same idea. Whether a person is, well, not a member of any organized religion, they're still saying, yeah, I mean, it's, it's connecting with something beyond yourself before we just fill our minds with the latest news and events. So thank you so much for that perspective. What about this whole uh, dimension, though? You've talked about five principles, and I know you walked us uh, through a lot of things in short order, but were you incorporating into that morning routine really all five of those elements, the purpose, acting with intent, uh, the conscious choices, or do you feel that there's a bigger picture that we need to share as someone's trying to map out their day-to-day life? Well, I think if you do those things that I just mentioned in the morning to put your frame of mind where you want it to be, right? The mindset is critically important to Mm -hmm. our success. So putting your mind in the right place is really important. Put your spirit in the right place first thing in the morning. And then I think the second thing, which is acting uh, or living with purpose every day, which is define the purpose. Now, some days I need to be a great negotiator. My purpose is to be the best negotiator in the world in the morning. But in the afternoon, I need to be a wonderful grandfather, Mm. right? And maybe there's some place in there where I have to be a great leader of a team. So focus on the most important, highest level priorities. Keep our mind at a very high level. Don't get distracted by minutia. Don't look at the latest text coming in, the latest email coming in, right? The latest noise that you hear, because we get about 40 million stimuli a day into our brain, and we have to sift and sort to decide what's most important, what we're going to act on. So live with purpose. Be very directed in what we do. 
The next step, of course, is act with intent. We've talked about intentionality, but if we really are focused on our purpose, then let's act on that purpose. Let's act on that vision, right? Let's act on that every day. And when we do that, we tend to accomplish that which is most important. And then make conscious choices. You know, really important to make conscious choices. Maybe a a quick story, but there was a young man who loved to hike and repel. He worked at an outdoor store near Zion National Park, Mm -hmm. and he loved to go back into the park and go repelling. And so one day he decided to go, but he didn't tell his boss, his girlfriend, or his parents where he was going. He just jumped in his truck, drove as far back as he could, got out, had his backpack and his repelling gear, and went to a cliff. And he was repelling down this cliff. He stepped on a boulder. The boulder gave way, tumble, tumble, tumble. He ended up standing on another boulder, but with his right arm pinned against the wall with a giant boulder. Mm. So he pulled off his backpack, put it on top of the boulder, and then pulled out a pocket knife. And he thought he would just chip away at the sandstone. He soon began to realize he couldn't do that and get free. Mm -hmm. And so he was there. He was there for 127 hours. That's five and a half days. And he knew he was going to die. He was able to do a whole host of things that were important. And we'll finish this story in just a second. You've got it. We do have to step away. And uh, it's an exciting story. I kind of think I know where it's going because uh, I think I may have uh, heard about this this incident some years ago. Anyway, I want to make sure it's the same story. If you're tuning in, you're listening to Warren Rustand. He is the author of an exciting book uh, recently released. We'll talk more about that, too, in our next segment. Dr. David DeRose telling you to stay by. Final segment coming up right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. If child abuse victims don't get counseling or help, they so often become abusers themselves. The victim doesn't make the decisions. They just take the orders. I got help, and so can you. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit HealthyChildren.org. So I wanted to talk with you and your mom today, Lily, because some people at school have noticed changes going on with you, and we're concerned. Like what? Who? Some of your friends, teachers. It sounds like you've lost interest in a lot of things lately. You're hanging with new friends? So? So, individually, maybe those things are no big deal. But taken together, and then the incident the other day, you were with Derek when he was caught selling marijuana. Yeah, he was selling it. Honey, we know. But we care about you and and want to know what's going on. That's right. We just want to understand better and see how we might help. And if weed is a part of it, we just want to make sure you understand the negative consequences for someone your age. The physical and mental health effects, the poor decision-making, and the confusing legal aspects these days. So what do you say? Can we talk? 
For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for the final segment of today's show. Dr. David DeRose with Warren Rustand. If you've been wondering how he spells his name, pretty straightforward. Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N, last name Rustand, R-U-S-T-A-N-D. And if you just remember WarrenRustand.com, that's the way to connect with his website. Uh, You can learn more about his new book, The Leader Within Us, Mindset, Principles, and Tools for a Life by Design. It's put out by Forbes Books. It's something that you can pick up uh, right there through the website. You can also uh, connect with Warren and some other great resources absolutely free. Warren, you had us on the edge of our seats and... uh, for those who maybe just jumped on, you were telling a story about a young man repelling in a kind of remote area. Bring us up to speed. What actually happened? Well, as he was repelling, he uh, stepped on a boulder that gave way, and, and he tumbled down, but he ended up standing on a boulder with his right arm pinned to a canyon wall with another boulder. And he had a backpack on, and in there he had a camera, and he had a, a knife, and he tried to chip his way out, and that wasn't going to work. The boulder was too big and hard. He had a little tape recorder. And so over the course of 127 hours that he was trapped there, knowing that he was going to die, he actually recorded his final thoughts to his parents. He apologized to his parents for being a rebellious kid, mm. uh, for not always being honest with them and so forth. He apologized to his girlfriend because he wasn't able to marry her and raise the family they wanted to raise. He apologized to his boss for not being the kind of employee that he should have been. Wow. And finally, it came down as he was as he was losing his strength. He said he'd try his knife one more time. But this time he knew... It wasn't to chip away the boulder, but it was to cut off his arm. Wow. And so he took his knife, and he cut through the muscle, and that was easy, but he got to the bone. And he couldn't get through the bone with his dull knife, so he leveraged his body weight to break wow. his arm and then cut through the tendons and the nerves. You imagine the pain that he experienced during a period of time. And when he did that, he fell back. He was free. His arm was still stuck there, and he was bleeding profusely. So with his teeth and, his, and a little piece of rope, he tied off a tourniquet to do the best he could, but he knew that he had to get out of there quickly. And so he still had a 110 foot repel to do with one arm. Wow. And uh, he got to that repel, he got it done, but he was bleeding. He got to the river bottom. He started walking out the river bottom and uh, he collapsed. Um, Around the corner came a young family on a family outing Mm. on a Sunday after church. And they came and they found him, got him to his truck, got him out of there, saved his life. And He's written a book, and it's a movie called 127 Hours. You may want to watch sometime. But it's a wonderfully revealing movie about how you develop and how you become acutely aware of your spirituality, your family, your senses, and how they become enlivened during a situation like that to really understand what life is all about. And he's gone on to be a wonderful father, uh, a wonderful speaker. Um, He's done a great job. So we all have different circumstances in our lives that help us learn. I'll tell you, a lot of people would say that's a circumstance I wouldn't have signed up for. But I love the story because so many times we think of adversity as pushing us down. There's so much discussion about post-traumatic stress disorder. But I'm glad a lot more people are speaking today about post-traumatic growth. We've talked about it on the show before, but 
a lot of times it's those difficult situations that we find ourselves in that really help us, uh, as you've been telling us, help us find the leader within us. Isn't that the case? I think it's really true. And I think 2020 has been a difficult but challenging time for so many people. Hundreds of thousands of businesses closed. Almost 500,000 people as of today who have died from this dreaded disease, and it's not over yet by a long shot. It's still going to be very difficult for a period of time. It's been particularly difficult on tribal lands, Mm -hmm. we know, because of our foster son and what we've dealt with within his clan and how difficult it's been with his clan members. So we are aware that 2020 has been really difficult, but it's important that we transition, and we transition to our current state. Let's take whatever lessons we've learned from that difficulty Let's apply them to our current state. But more importantly, let's begin to look to the future. Let's begin to take the lessons that we've learned and begin to apply them to the opportunities. Because in every crisis, there is opportunity. We need to find the opportunity. Don't get trapped by our past. Don't get trapped by disaster, difficulty, or trial, or tribulation. Look to the current and look to the future. We all have the capability to overcome and be resilient. Warren, I think one of the things that uh, so often happens, we try to encourage folks. You as a leader, you've been doing that throughout your life, I often find myself in the same position, whether I'm working with a patient, whether I'm giving a lecture, whether I'm doing a radio show. But so many times people get jaundiced over the years. They've they've heard the motivational talks. They've gotten excited about doing something, and then they tend to fall right back to where they were or maybe even lower. Do you have any words of encouragement for someone who feels like, well, They've tried to find the leader within themselves, and they failed uh, maybe more than once, maybe multiple times. Don't you ever just call it quits and just uh, settle for a life of mediocrity? No, we can't. It's not our human spirit. It's not our nature to do that. Our nature is to achieve. Our nature is to excel. Our nature is to, to do great things. We always have to stay focused on the fact that each of us has the capacity to save someone else's life, hmm. to do good works, to do good things. It's the higher purpose that really calls us, that that we have been given the opportunity and the breath of life to benefit the lives of others. It's not just to focus on ourselves. It's the notion that we can develop our leadership so that we can lead others to develop their leadership so they can be better. If we have made a success of our lives, we have the responsibility to reach out and help others make a success of their lives. This notion of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we start out with food and shelter and go to self-esteem and self-actualization. Shortly before he was death, he was working on the highest level, and that's transcendence. It's the notion of the higher purpose, that in fact, when we live our lives in an appropriate way, we get to a point where we can, in fact, help others. And that helping of others is our higher calling. It is our higher purpose. That's why we're here. An old pastor once said to me, We're all here just to walk each other back home. Hmm. I think it's a wonderful phrase. We're all here to help each other walk back home. And I think if we can have that in mind and be kind-hearted, be less judgmental, be more focused on how we can help others, and elevate our own lives to a position where we can help others, then we're living a successful life. Then we're leading in the way that's appropriate. I love this picture, Warren, because so many times people measure success. They measure effective leadership by metrics that, well, really don't meet that uh, criteria that you just shared with us. They're really not maybe uh, fully, positively affecting other people. But it might just be a grandmother or a great-grandmother. It may be a brother or a sister just coming alongside of someone. And to me, the real tragedy, Warren, to be honest with you, in this time where some of us seem much more isolated than we've ever been before, is that 
more than one person on this planet is feeling lonely. And to me, it's a tragedy because there shouldn't be two people feeling lonely. If there's one, that's okay. But if there's two, why don't those two lonely people just get together or get on Skype or get on FaceTime or somehow reach out to someone else? And I think we're catching a little bit as we've been talking about this privilege of leading. It doesn't mean you're going to be the CEO of a company. It doesn't mean you're going to serve in the White House or be on an NBA team. It means something far more than that, doesn't it? It does indeed. It does indeed. In fact, what a wonderful time to use social media to help others from feeling that isolation. Go get in touch with people you haven't talked to for a while. Call that person in your family with whom you had a hard discussion and apologize. Mm. Reconcile relationships at this point in time. Reach out to those in need who just need to hear a voice, need to hear from an old friend who may be much more isolated than you are. Wow. Because not all of us exist in families, not all of us. There are many people who are all alone right now mm-hmm. who need to hear from someone. Let's be that vehicle. Let's be that voice that reaches out to others and helps them. And by helping others, we will find that we'll feel better ourselves. My parents always said that when you're really feeling like you've had a horrible day, a bad day, and things aren't going right for you, go serve somebody else who's having an even worse day, <laughs> and you'll be just fine. Just go serve someone else. And I think being a servant leader is the best kind of leader to be. And I think we all need to activate that. No, that is such a great message. And uh, I know many of us could share stories of times where we did just that, whether we chose to do it or not. The Creator put somebody in our path that was uh, seemingly worse off than we were. And in the process of trying to encourage them, we encouraged ourselves. Warren, you have given us uh, so many great insights. You've uh, inspired us today. I know there's a lot of folks that want to connect with you further. You've got a great website. Tell us again how to access that website and just what we'll find there. Please come to the website. It's warrenrustand.com, and you'll find Facebook Live episodes on a variety of topics. You'll find speeches. You'll find all kinds of commentary. Hopefully there will be things that will help you there and get through the day, get through the week, the month, and hopefully become the leader within you. So I've got it written down, Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N, Rustand, R-U-S-T-A-N-D.com. And uh, Warren, I'm going to check out that website as soon as we finish here. I also uh, am really excited about your book, The Leader Within Us, Mindset, Principles, and Tools for a Life by Design. I hear the book is selling really well, even though it just recently came out. That's my understanding, but even if only one person gets the book, and as a result of it, does something really good for someone else, I'm a happy man. It'll be a good day. Warren, thank you so much for enriching our lives. Thank you, David. It's been great to be with you today. We've got to go. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Hopefully you enjoyed those uh, powerful words from Warren Rustand. Again, the author of the book, The Leader Within Us, Mindset, Principles, and Tools for a Life by Design. You can learn more at warrenrustand.com. Well, as always, that's all, and I'm wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.